0: Well, hello and welcome. Uh, It is time for another Alliance Against Inclusion and Restraint live. Uh, Really excited to have you here today with us. Hope you're uh, able to join us wherever you might be. Uh, For those of you that may be joining us for the first time, my name is Guy Stevens. I'm the founder and executive director of the Alliance Against Inclusion and Restraint. Uh, the Alliance Against Seclusion Restraint was actually started about almost four years ago. Uh, we're, we're heading to the four-year anniversary here very soon, uh, and the organization was started around issues like restraint seclusion, including things like suspension, expulsion, corporal punishment. Uh, very broadly speaking, all the things that are often being done to kids uh, in the name of behavior, often things that are having consequences. Uh, like trauma, injury, uh, even death in the case of physical restraint. Uh, And of course, we see kids that are sometimes being pushed down that school-to-prison pipeline. So our organization was really started to try to promote positive change, trying to move away from a lot of the approaches that were really leading to uh, poor outcomes for not just kids, but also for teachers and staff. Uh, So, you know, broadly speaking, we're supportive of Uh, kind of trauma-informed, neuroscience-aligned approaches, working with kids collaboratively. And of course, uh, relationships are always critical when it comes to success. So I'm very excited to be here today with you as always. And of course, we have a lot of uh, fantastic speakers that join us, and today is no exception. Uh, Today, I'm really excited to have with us uh, Jody Place, And uh, Jody has a history as a uh, educator and administrator and is going to be sharing a very special presentation with us. I do want to let you know a couple of housekeeping items here real quick. Uh, As always, all of our presentations are recorded, so they're available after the fact on YouTube, on Facebook and as an audio podcast and on LinkedIn. So you can get them in lots of places. Uh, So with all that, let me go ahead and bring Jody up and introduce uh, Jody and tell you a little bit about. Hey, Jody, how are you?
1: I'm great. Thank you.
0: Great. Well, it's exciting to have you here today. I'm going to read your bio here, and then we'll get started in just a moment. Uh, You, of course, have served as a public educator for over 25 years. So you obviously started when you were about three, right? Yes, Uh, (laughs) absolutely. That's right. (laughs) Um, And of course, prior to becoming a school administrator, uh, you were a nationally board certified English teacher. Uh, As a school administrator, you have experience leading traditional high school and middle school settings, uh, as well as an alternative education setting. Uh, You hold uh, a certificate in applied educational neuroscience. And I think that's how uh, we connected at one point from Butler University. Uh, And you're currently pursuing your, and and I have this in my bio, is currently pursuing your neurosequential model in education uh, training led by Dr. Bruce Perry. And if there's any updates on that, you'll have to tell me in a moment. Uh, And of course, you published a quick reference guide with uh, ASCD and uh, supporting emotional regulation in the classroom. Uh, And aside from uh, having the opportunity to meet you uh, while you were in the Applied Educational Neuroscience uh, program uh, we later were able to meet at a conference. Uh, let's see, that was uh, the first Attachment Trauma Network conference last and, year. Though. Yeah, yeah, in
1: Houston. Yeah, yeah,
0: yep, yep. Uh, and, uh, of course, we we interviewed your uh, partner in crime recently, <laughs> uh, Dustin. And I know you you and Dustin actually had presented together at that, uh, that particular event. And I remember going in, you had music playing. It was a great, uh, great atmosphere. Um, but the work that you're doing is is amazing and, you know, changing things. Uh, and, of course, um, the Applied Educational Neuroscience Program, uh, that's Dr. Lori Desatel's program. Uh, and, of course, we have Lori um, as, a, uh, as a frequent guest here. Uh, we were just talking with her recently about her brand-new book uh, and uh, all, all the great work that she's doing. of course, that program at Butler is is amazing. Uh, you know, I think Please you were. It.
1: It, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And I think you were um, in the cohort, of the, the first cohort that I had the opportunity to meet. And, and there were so many amazing people. Uh, In that program. And, you know, I I always say it's like, you know, it's the most amazing people that are in it. And, you know, one is is as amazing as the next and and people that really are shifting mindsets and and uh, practices. So uh, it was great to have an opportunity to to meet you there. Um, So what about the neurosequential model? Is that something you're still working through?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I'm i so excited about this like next learning opportunity. I'm always looking to continue to grow and learn. And so actually tonight and, and my partner in crime, Dustin, we're in the, another cohort together. So, uh, oh, goodness. Um, but we are working through the second part of our um, experience for that. And um, I just hope it's just going to help us grow and build on what we're doing, um, so we can be even, hopefully, more cha- more of change agents that you know. Um, I know we both desire to be. So
0: sure, that's fantastic. And, yeah, so
1: excited and, and,
0: about that. yeah, and, and Bruce, you know, Bruce Perry, of course, you know, renowned, you know, trauma expert, uh, author. You know, I, I'm always recommending uh, What Happened to You, the book that he co-authored with uh, Oprah, and, and you know, so many of the the great books, and, and Lori had one as well, uh, Connections Over Compliance. Mm-hmm titles alone are like enough to bring me in. Like, yes, I've got to read this. And, you know, there's so much to the title of that book, what happened to you, because it's reframing so much of the way people look at the world. You know, when you look at people rather than saying what's wrong with you. Why do you do this? When you begin to look at things differently and and ask questions like, what happened? What what did you experience? It can make such a major shift. So looking forward to that. And of course, you've got a presentation today that you're gonna be sharing with us that I think is is very much in that same vein of kind of our our thought process, how we think about uh, discipline, how we think about working with and supporting kids. So we'll get that in one second here. I do want to um, invite those of you that are watching, I usually like to ask this early, uh, let us know who you are, where you're from, and uh, you know tell us in, in the chat where you're where you're joining us from. Uh, you know, Jody and I were talking ahead of time. And I said, "Well, you know, we usually get about this many people." She's like, "Oh no, stop! That's going to make me nervous." <laughs> so sure there's only a few of us, so if everybody that's there can tell me where they are and, and who they are and where they're from, it'd be great. Uh, I will sh- share with you that we already have a, a familiar friend, uh, Ginger uh, Ginger Healy, joining us from Utah. Uh, let's see. And, uh, we have somebody joining us from Maryland here as well, Angie. Uh, so I'm sure we'll have other people joining us from, uh, other places. We often have, uh, people joining from Australia or, uh, New Zealand. And it's, it's really great to see people from all over the world that are, that are here and, uh, you know, interested in all of this. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and bring up your presentation deck. Uh, and I've got it on the screen, which is Discipline for Learning, Not Shaming. And I'll let people that are watching us live, the, the three or four of them <laughs> <laughs> know that I, you don't want to overwhelm here, uh, but but I'll, I'll let folks know that if they have questions, we'll be taking questions at the end, but you're always welcome to put them in the chat. So, you know, sometimes I know this happens with me. If I don't put it on, on, on uh, something while I'm thinking about it, I might lose it. So, so feel free to put your questions in the chat at any time, and we'll try to get through to some of those questions uh, as we wrap up the presentation. So thank you for those that are joining us. And Jody, thank you so much for uh, joining us to give this presentation today. I'm going to, as I promise, vanish here in a second so that you can uh, take over and give your presentation. But if you need anything, just say the word and uh, I'll be here or... Uh, if, if things really go wrong, we've got uh, our my assistant here, Courtney, who helps out with now all of these, and she's in the backstage area as well. So if things really go off the wire, Courtney may pop up. And, the great uh, and
1: powerful eyes behind the curtain. I know that's great. Right.
0: Right, right. Okay. So with that, I'm going to let you take it away.
1: So first, let me just say, I'm so truly honored to be here. And thank you for those of you who are spending time with me today. I think one of the amazing parts of this journey is that I have gotten to meet so many wonderful people um, who have helped me learn and grow and evolve as a human. So truly thank you for being here and, and sharing in this opportunity. Um, when I was thinking about this, and this has been a topic that I've talked about before today, I mean, as an administrator, of course, um, as if any of you are administrators know, discipline is just a huge part of what um, we have as a responsibility. And I just wanted to note one thing on this slide. When I was thinking about what to put on this slide, under my name, I could put my role and I could you know put different credentials. But I want you to know that I come to you today like as a fellow traveler. And you may very well hear an announcement. I told Guy that I have, I'm, you know, in my building right now. Um, I just finished um, the day. Students just went home, Um, so we may hear announcements. We are we are coming to you right now um, in a space of true genuineness for this work, Um, and I'm hoping in this in this conversation, because I do want it to be kind of a conversation. I love interaction in the chat. So please, I will be so excited to read all of your comments and everything that you share. But I, I want us to come together because I think the only way we're gonna move forward with, um, and I'm probably gonna say some things that are gonna be unpopular, but a broken system. I, I think our discipline system is is broken. And it's been broken. And I think the only way we're going to move forward to see systemic change that is long past due is for us to have uncomfortable conversations, to come be willing to come to the table to share our lived experiences, our voices, um, and so and, and to really reflect. So I'm hoping that in this time together, that ultimately we're going to be able to really think about where we are. And I do at the end, try to give some some ideas. I, I never wanna leave uh, the table without putting something on the table as suggestions or things that I'm considering or things that I've done that I have found to be um, effective. So ultimately I just want to start making the discipline process about learning and reduce the use of it um, as a means to punish or cause students to, um, frankly suffer. So just to kind of give you like just some groundwork. So I just put a fellow traveler because some of this, I am coming from, I was in a division for over 20 years. And so this year I have moved not only to a new division. So that's been a huge change, but I came out of spending most of my experience in high school to middle school, Um, I was in alternative education and let me just give a shout out to alternative education. Um, alternative is not a bad word. There are so many unfair myths and stigmas associated with alternative education. Um, but my alternative education students said that middle school was where for them, things went a little bit off the rails. And so I decided this year to, um, leave a pretty comfortable nest, um, a community I've been in for a long time, and come into middle school. So I say that again, that I'm having to really myself go back to what is my why, looking, being in a a system that, you know, I have to learn myself. And so I am a fellow traveler here. Um, As you know, my English teacher at heart, so I love some quotes. And and these two for me, the first one, um, if you've ever probably had a conversation with me, you know that I keep this Brene Brown quote on a post-it on my desk. Um, And so because it's so real for me, just for me as a human myself, and then as I interact with Others, students, other adults in my profession, even when I act, you know, interact with my children, um, my spouse, all of these people. That what we don't need in the midst of struggle is shame for being human. And I think that there's so so often that we're responding in a way that is so human, but yet how it's received, you know, we we don't we get a reaction. Um, or we can't see that in someone else. We look at their behavior and how we react to it. Um, we don't see the humanity in what's happening because I believe foundationally that behavior is communication and that we just have to really work hard sometimes, maybe all the time, to listen to what that behavior is telling us. And so that is truly the foundation of 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 who I am, um, honestly, just as a person. When I talk about going through the Applied Educational Neuroscience program, it changed me as an educator for sure, but it changed me just as a human as well and how I interact with other people. And then the other, um, I've, I've tried to put some people that I really hope that you will kind of look further into and this will build curiosity to look deeper, but Christina Torres has done a lot of great writing and she just keeps it so real. And so that's another quote that our students and our children, they didn't wake up with shame. People and systems created a world that puts shame on them. We must actively work not to fix students, but to uproot and undo the systems that try and shame us and move toward a world rooted in love and care. And I think, again, when I talk about our discipline system, in general, I do think that it is something that really needs to be uprooted. It is something that I think um, is built on thinking we can fix kids and I don't see kids as broken. I think most of the time they're behaving in the way that their brain and body is supposed to, to keep them safe. Um, And so I, I just, that was a very powerful quote for me if you're willing to share it again, or you can kind of look at this, not even from your own point of view, but if you want to look at it from, um, you know, a relationship, somebody that, you know, kind of like outside of yourself, I did, I was interested in what to you does shame, what does it look like? What does it sound like? And what does it feel like in your body? And it might even we say what it looks like, you know, like, for me, when I think about shame, it's like, I feel like it's a weighted cloak. You know, like I just feel like it's just something that is like draped on my shoulders and it's just so heavy. So like, what does it look like? So in just terms of thinking, like what does in your mind, you know, shame really look like? What does it sound like? Um, And what does it feel like to you when you you know experience it. Um, and again, I don't know how many are online, so in terms of, but again, I think it's that sharing of like, to name it, to tame it, and what's mentionable is manageable, right? These little reminders, but building that emotional vocabulary so that we can talk about this very, very honestly and openly, because I think when we start doing that, we can then take that and apply it to how we, on smaller scales, maybe within our classrooms, um, or administratively in a building, and then broaden it out to systematically how we discipline, um, to really say, is that what I'm seeing in the student across from me? Does it look like they're wearing a heavy cloak? Do their shoulders and body language go down, their head goes down? what do we see? You know, What are they saying? So um, I put a lot of reflective questions in here because I think through reflection, it, there's truly the answers and the solutions we need. Um, yeah, Nicole, me too. I always feel it in my, in my stomach. And think about how many times we hear students talk about their stomachs hurting. Um, I hear it so often with students, they'll, they'll wanna go home or they'll say my stomach hurts. And sometimes we're, you know the adult response is, no, it doesn't, you're just trying to you know, get out of this or you wanna go home. But it's so very real to them and they truly are experiencing probably that not in their stomach for some reason, right? Um, but we're kind of dismissing that they're telling us how their body feels. And that there's something going on, there's an overwhelm or there's a stressor, and they're feeling it in their body. So um, I just wanted us to really, and again, these are things we can kind of go back to, like, you know, individually, because I know that's like a, that's one of those questions, but um, I just always think I can control myself. It starts with me. So thinking about it from my own point of view. So I have to, got to jump right into a little bit of brain science. And I know we're not going to have necessarily all the time I wish we could have um, to delve deeply into this. But what I have here is the um, polyvagal, if, you know, like Stephen, Dr. Stephen Porges. Um, And this was actually um, a visual that was created by someone who's been on um, this live stream before, Connie Perseki, She is amazing. I put a link to her amazing um, organization on this slide. She has lots of great, great resources. But essentially what I wanted to make the point for on this slide is that shame and learning do not exist in the same part of our brain. When we experience experience shame, that is putting us in those lower regions of our brain. And if you look at the visual that's putting us into places of fight, flight, and freeze. And if you hopefully you can see, some of the associations that we have um, when we're in fight, fight or freeze. So if we use discipline and the product of that is shaming, essentially, Our students are not learning, and it really is just scientifically that simple, because if you see learning is in that prefrontal prefrontal area, so you cannot have both. Um, We know that shame is connected with the limbic system. We know that um, it's linked to an urge for self-protection. So depending on how we approach discipline, we could actually create a system where we put students in flight, fight or freeze. We put them in survival mode. And I don't think that adults in our field come to the building every day, come into a space wanting to cause and inflict fear on our children. But we have to be really honest if what we're doing is actually resulting in that where students feel that we are not safe, we are emotionally safe, we are not, we are, we are a danger. And so, um, again, I just wanted to provide some resources. We're not meant to always stay, you know, in the social ga- engagement place, and that's why I shows Blended. We will move in, in our day, you know. I'm not a morning person, so maybe I'm not all the way up at the top, but then I might move move there and then I get a phone call that is not pleasant, so then I kind of move down. But then as long as I'm able to recover, but what we don't wanna have, and with some of our students that are dealing with chronic stressors, they're constantly engaged in a discipline process that is embedded with shame, then we're forcing them into the that lower region. Um, and that is very, very unhealthy. Um, and so again, I wish I had more time to talk about that because it's that's that's where Lori Desitell, who I will reference in this, read everything she's written. Um, if you have an opportunity to do the applied educational neuroscience program, it is transformative, and I cannot speak more highly about it. Um, so, what I wanted to do at this point is I want us to consider some of the disciplinary structures and systems that we have. So. That might be in your world, whether that's, you know, detention, in-school suspension, out-of-school suspension, alternative education. Um, so sometimes we think about this and we think about those, but I also want to factor in incentive plans so, um, and, and programs and even classroom management models like behavior charts um, that are posted Some different things like in PBIS where we have, you know, token economies, for instance. Um, And what do those look like in your world? Or if you experience them yourself, what did they like look like? Um, So if you ever got in school suspension, as I kind of traveled and visited um, and talked to a lot of colleagues in school suspension rooms, I find that those are spaces that have, you see these, like, you know, they're isolating. They want to put you in a in a space where you can't see others. Sometimes they're very stark. Um, they have, you know, you will not posters po- up there. You're not allowed to talk. Um, so I guess, what do they look like or what have you experienced in those systems? Because I think that if we're honest, by and large, what we'll see is, um, and I know that when my daughter was in middle school and my daughter talks a lot, I, I don't know where she got it from, but anyway, she talks a lot. And so she got silent lunch as a consequence. And what that looked like for her is that she they had a table in the lunchroom that she had to sit at silently. And I saw what that experience was because really it was just public shaming, right? You know, go sit those students at a table where everybody can see them, everybody knows that they did something, isolate them, um, and don't let them have voice. I mean, that's the truth of it. You know, I'm not, that's like just observably true. Um, Sometimes, so it's like this whole, you know, social, we think social embarrassment will be away. And so that kind of goes to this, this timeline, again, I'm just kind of putting a few things, but you could add so, so much to this. But when we think about, um, when we say we're going to remove you from a community. So I was in all ed and I always tried to explain that even though I think that my alternative education program ended up being a sanctuary, um, it was built on being trauma-informed and responsive. We relationship forward and prioritized. My biggest problem is students didn't wanna leave because it became such a sanctuary for them. But at the end of the day, the, the, the price of them being rejected and exiled from a community, was very, part of it is they didn't want to go back to that community because they no longer felt they were welcome to that community. Um, and so that kind of originates, in, in my opinion, from, you know, going all the way back to Skinner, um, B.F. Skinner, which all of us in education um, learned about probably in our foundational courses, Of uh, if you apply an undesirable punishment, it will decrease or weaken a specific behavior. So if my daughter dislikes sitting and being humiliated and sitting silently, she won't engage in the behavior that got her there anymore is it will be uncomfortable enough. Um, So, and then as we move forward, you can see out of school suspension, really we've had that around for a really long time. And I kind of just, you know, we've had that around since the 1960s and here we are, um, you know, still really, using it excessively in in my again my opinion. Um, And then I also included some some data about some different suspension rates. We've seen like a an increase in the use of suspension. Um, There was a time in the 1980s, you know, that our president said that we just need some good old fashioned and we again used the word discipline and said we're going to have these zero tolerance um, policies and that was so influential in our school discipline. And um, and then we looked at data and we found that it didn't work. It was not improving or making schools any safer. It wasn't improving actually quite to the contrary. And so now what we see is, you know, schools will have zero tolerance policies for, you know, weapons, like really serious, though, like that's the only thing we have. But then this is a semantics game, I believe, um, because we actually do have embedded zero tolerance. We're seeing more and more zero tolerance for behaviors like dress code um, or saying something disrespectful that it's an automatic suspension. Um, So you might not call it zero tolerance, but in actuality the consequence is zero tolerance. Um, And then, you know, and, and Guy could give you all kinds of data about uh, seclusion and restraint, but even in 19 states, it, it will never just, it makes my mind just go red to think that in 19 states they can still use corporal punishment. Um, so I think about like, where are we today, right? Like, where's that suspension rate? And I don't know about in your school. I really don't know about in your school. But I suspect when we can crunch some numbers for the last two years, we're going to see suspension rates have really, really increased. Um, and so I'll come back in a year and and if I was wrong, but um, from what I can tell and um, from my experience and from talking to so many colleagues across the country, the behavioral challenges that we're seeing. And this is where um, Lori Desatel wrote, she has a brand new book out, Intentional Neuroplasticity, and I am reading it and I cannot tell you, you've got to get a copy of it because she's talking about, you know, where we like this, where we are today and, and sort of like living in this post COVID life. Like we're not the same. Um, And I think that we're going to, we're going to see that data soon because I think that uh, all of us are experiencing. Again, if you are not experiencing, we all want to hear from you because in my experience, the behavior challenges last year and this year um, have exponentially grown um, from what they were before. So, I also want to say that sometimes, again, semantically, we think of things like positive behavior intervention systems. But just know, even though it has the word positive and behavior, there's also a lot of data um, about using systems like token economies. Um, I know, like I was talking to a colleague who was, you know, um, if you had gotten a certain number of, you know, of the specific money, um, you know, you could access going to the gym. And I know it's like, we're going to reward the kids who are doing the right thing. But I also think having community, having purposeful movement, um, being able to interact, like that shouldn't be something that you're denied because that is only going to help. Um, so that's, you know, again, I, maybe I'm on the soapbox and, um, But I just know like in our suspension rates, there's still huge disproportionality. Um, It's not an equitable system. Um, If you are um, a black girl, you are going to be suspended at a much higher rate than any other group. If you have um, an IEP, you're going to be suspended at a much higher rate. Um, And it goes on and on for groups that are disproportionately suspended. So Uh, you know, these are things and and it feeds the school to prison pipeline. And that, again, data validated. It's not my opinion. It's just truth. um, And that's just where we are. So as I move to Alpha, the history lesson, I just wanted to say that, again, my English teacher self, the, the root of the word discipline is about learning. And the root of the word Punishment is about suffering. So if you go look up, you know wh- where did the root of that word come from? It means to suffer. Um, discipline is about learning. And what you'll see here is, and if you remember the slide that we had before about learning being in that prefrontal cortex, first off, you're going to see write down revelations and education. Again, um, Lori Desitels' um, site is absolutely so full of resources. She gives so much away. She doesn't keep anything a secret. She is just the most sharing person. And so you can go there and find things that you can use today, right now. Um, and as Guy was saying, I'm starting this process and I'm working through with um, Dr. Bruce Perry. But you can see here from the NeuroSequential Network the cycle of learning and I want you to look at the words in the cycle of learning and think about school discipline and if any of those words would be words you'd put on the list for how you would describe school discipline. Um, Because I I dare say I'm not sure that a lot of our school discipline um, systems currently, those are the words that anybody would use to describe them. But again, those are required so it can be a learning process. If we want it to be a learning process, it has to be considered almost like a content area, right? Like that's how I look at discipline. As an administrator, when I left teaching English, I now think of myself as a teacher in the realm of discipline. I get to use it as an opportunity to come beside students and help them get into this cycle of learning, Um, and as you see, Jim Sporlater, who um, is featured in Paper Tigers, if, if you haven't ever seen that documentary, but he talks about this being whether this is a me with you or a me against you approach, and so I always look at it, it's going to be a me with you, and I get to facilitate your learning as part of this process, and then you can see all the different things that come with our prefrontal cortex. And of course, that is what we send children to school for, right? To be able to be in that learning ready brain state um, and to be in that cycle of learning. And I think that traditional disciplinary systems compromise all of that. Um, so this is, you know, we think about how we address any content area, like I, said, I was an English teacher, we invest in helping to provide learning for our staff. We look at data to see how our students are doing in that area. We, we invest funding towards it because we want um, students to be able to have innovative approaches and engagement in content areas. So we don't do that when it comes to discipline because I don't think we look at it as a content we don't look at it from a learning opportunity um, within our buildings. So again, I'm just going to keep saying and evoking Lori Desetel's name. Um, I mean, she is truly a queen. I don't know what to say other than that. Um, but there, the applied educational neuroscience is based on four pillars. And this is a framework. It's not a checklist. It is a framework. It is how we approach. Um, once you, you know, it, it, you embody the framework. And so as I move forward in my day, these are the four pillars and truly again, behavior is communication. It encourages and honors listening to our bodies, um, which are always trying to keep us safe and protected. And so um I wanted to give you, I love this visual because we think about these roots and these and building these really strong, strong roots for children. And um, there are some great videos on Lori's site where you see children engaging in this learning. And I think about those children going forward into middle school, high school, adulthood, and the roots that they are going to have that are going to keep them so strong and um, so resilient. So I wanted to though focus really on the educator nervous system um, because, and whether you wanna say, put your own mask on first, I said, drop your own pen first. um, I think it really does start with us as adults. I mean, we are the ones who are building these systems of discipline. We are the ones that have, for the most part, fully developed um, brains. I know some of us are really young, you know, and it could be up until like the 30s, right? Um, But um, in this, uh, another great book is called Beyond Behaviors, um, Dr. Mona Della Hook, and she says, many of the paradigms for helping children with persistent behavior challenges target the children's or child's behavior, but leave us adults out of the equation. And again, that's back to that. We need to fix broken children. And I don't think they're broken. And I don't think they need to be fixed. And so um, I know that what do I every day have control of the most myself. And so I would say, this kind of is where to start? Where do I start? Um, and it starts with looking deeply within ourselves. Um And this is again, I'm giving you I'm hopefully to give you some different resources here because I know like sometimes like you come to the table and you need to have the resources so that you can start the process. You can start the reflection. And so with this, what you're going to notice is if you start at the beginning and this is that finding the why. And I know so many of us, Matthew Portel talks about, you know, how we should all have our own personal mission statement. Um, which I think is when I sat down to do that for myself, again, it was a really wonderful opportunity because I have to kind of revisit that often when I am having my own dysregulation or I'm having a really challenging day, week, month. Like, Why am I doing this? What do I believe? And If you notice, like the first, what is it? One, two, three, four, six items are all focused on in this process of finding the why um, and guiding your interventions all relate to the adult. All of the first six steps are about the adult. And so um, we really have to be starting with ourselves. So... This is the book that guy was talking about. It's Lori Desci Hill's most recent book. Um, I haven't finished it. Uh, I cannot we're gonna have a book study. Um, guy mentioned Ginger Healy who's on this um, call. And so it is I'm so excited about this book. I'm excited about all of her books, but um, this is the one I'm reading right now. And again, when I tell you if you go to Revelations and Education, where Lori puts so many resources, one of the great things that she has on that site are reflective questions, questions that you individually can work through, and then you can work through collaboratively with teams um, to sort of help you start, I guess, seeing very sincerely what your discipline system is and is not. So it kind of starts with, and I thought these questions were really powerful. And again, This is a process, as I said, I'm a fellow traveler. So this is a process I am putting myself through because I just want to recheck myself um, because I have been engaged in so much change within the last year. And so I need to recheck myself. So you have to consider your own values, your own perspective, your own biases. So in looking at how were you disciplined as a child? And what were you disciplined the most for? Um, You know, what do you remember when you think about discipline? And going back to, again, thinking about your sensations, your feelings, what, you know, what did you experience? What words come to mind? Um, How did you repair with adults? Or even did you? I mean, sometimes um, I know I've talked to one of my colleagues says, you know, she was always, if she cried, it was always like, You know, we sometimes or if a a child in school is crying, we're like, stop crying, stop crying. And it's like, why, why, why do we do that? And sometimes it goes back to our discipline that our own parents, you know, crying was like not really accepted or even from a cultural perspective, crying was not acceptable. Um, So we're actually telling children to ignore how your body wants to handle the overwhelm and the stress and the dysregulation. Um, and we think like we're being kind and nurturing, like, Oh, don't cry. It's okay. But sometimes, you know, I'm kind of become like a cry ambassador. I'm like, cry it out. Like, let, like, like, you you know, there is stress, you know, hormones in those tears. Like, let's just get it out. Like, like get it out. So cry on. Um, and if they cry hard enough, I might cry with them and it's good for all of us. We're going to be okay. Um, but we can't deny that our own experiences are again going to absolutely influence what we are doing now and what we how we respond. So again, some of us of you know past generations, it was absolutely unacceptable to go into a building and be wearing a hat, much less like wearing a hoodie, right? And so sometimes, like, if you're in that generation and you see a teenager come into a building and they have their hoodie, it feels like it's so disrespectful. Now, I've kind of started, I'm like, how is wearing a hoodie connected to respect or lack thereof? And so sometimes I think, I think it's just a generational, that's just how we were raised, that's just what was said. And maybe there is some history behind it, I've never been able to to find it. But, you know, because I look at that sometimes like that child might be, that might be a self-soothing behavior. When they put the hood up, that's them trying to isolate. That's them trying to create a safe space. That's them giving me a sign that something might be going on with them. Um, but again, depending on how we ourselves were raised, it might be, you know, you um, Yeah. And I think Ginger just posted hoodies are a flight are often a flight response. I mean, that's they can't actually leave the classroom, but they can't escape by, you know, pulling up their hood. So, um, again, it's just in terms of some of those perceptions and thoughts are all rooted in. And so much of our discipline system is rooted in who created that discipline system, who was that system created for. And that's why it's not working and that's why there's disproportionality. It was never created for and to work for everyone. Um, it was not created to be inclusive. Um, yeah, I like I again, hoodies, obviously you can tell like that's a that's a topic for me. Like like I love a hoodie. So my I have a, I have a ninth grader like she is forever like hoodie up. Um, and she is in no way intending it to be disrespectful to anyone. It's not about anyone outside of herself. It's about what's going on internally for her. It's, it's, it's not about me. It's about her. Um, so, again, just cannot speak highly enough that um, I, I, this book, I can just tell you already, I've been highlighting, underlining, you know, it's amazing. And those questions, I think. And then this is another set of questions to take it again to that next step. And I put a mirror here because, again, I think it's just about look in the mirror. It's okay. It's okay to be and feel uncomfortable with this um, because I think there's going to be growth in that discomfort. I think there's going to be change in that discomfort. And so, um, and they're hard questions. They are some hard questions. And some of the questions, like, look at me, I'm even touching my neck right now or I'm like, whoo, some of the questions are intense and they're hard, um, but they're so powerful and I do believe they will elicit change. Um, I think, you know, if you come to a table where you're going to openly discuss these, like you do have to establish and build some trust because there's a lot of vulnerability that you have to be willing to have. But again, I think that is going to be where the change and doing something different, you know, disrupting the system is going to, is going to live. So I wanted to share them with you. Again, you can find all of these um, questions um, and you can say with me, Lori Desatel. So, (laughs) Um, so, and then this is the, again, I'm trying to go from the individual kind of like pulling it, pulling, pulling the frame out a little bit from being kind of like very, very much about myself, my past, pulling out the lens to myself and where we are sort of at a, a smaller level. And then now questions to ask really about the policies and practices within, and most of us have codes of conducts that have been created, you know, um, every once in a while they might have something added or tweaked, but they have by and large been around for a really long time. Um, sometimes they'll, you know, as different states have said, we want to move towards not using exclusionary discipline more. Sometimes they'll have some things added, but again, they get thrown in there. And like, if you put restorative practices in there, the thing about that is most teachers, even most administrators have not had a lot of learning you know, focused on restorative practices and how to implement those and what those look like and what those can accomplish. And, um, and again, if we looked at it like a content area, we would provide all of these supports for someone that we wanted to teach a certain, you know, content. We would want to make sure they were kind of like an expert in that content before we said, go in there and put it in place. Um, And then here is my little, as we said today, this is my little pocket, Portel. That's what uh, Dustin and Ginger called him today. Matthew Portel, um, again, another person that I would say has been an amazing resource for me um, and I think would be for anybody who has met him. He is very open and is very um, generous to give information and, and provide support asking the hard questions, finding the truth in the data, because that's where I know I'm at right now. I need to really look hard at the data um, because it's going to, when I was in alternative education, when I started number crunching, there was disproportionality. It was there in the numbers. Again, it wasn't about, you know, an opinion. That was the truth of it. There was disproportionality. I could look to see this is a zero tolerance. It's not a matter of a weapon or drugs. But when we talk about chronic students being excluded because of chronic behavior, what is that chronic behavior? It's probably going to be defiance, disrespect or disruption. Those three Ds are referrals that are constantly, constantly generated um, in my world. And so we'll put it under chronic discipline. And then we'll say, if you have a certain number of referrals for this you know behavior, then you're gonna be suspended. Even if we look at the individual behaviors and again, they are not causing anyone to be unsafe. they are not um, they're minor offenses in and of themselves. So, and then the reason I put Matthew Tell over, Matthew Portell over there, in my pocket Matthew Portell, is he is the hashtag disruptors unite, we got to disrupt the status quo, because it's just not working. And we're not seeing learning. We're not seeing learning. And the way I know that is the data isn't supporting we're seeing learning. We're not see, stu- seeing students um, coming back from what we call discipline, actually not engaging in that same behavior. If you think about your students, that probably experience the disciplinary practices and policies the most, they're telling us as they keep repeating that same behavior that whatever we've put in place is not about learning because they continue to engage in it because it's really about communication. And they're like, you're not hearing me, you're not hearing me. (laughs) So, um, and this is probably the biggest question I get because I think again, When we start talking about so much discipline is about adult comfort, adult control, and it feels really, really scary to um, think sort of outside the box. And so this is not, it's like, what is the root of this question? When you say the word accountability, what does that mean? What actually do you mean when you say what about accountability? Because it's like, oh, we're just going to let them get away with it. If I let them get away with it, then... Others are going to see that and then they're going to engage in it. Um, You know, I had one time a a teacher said, if I let a student sleep, then a student's going to think that's okay." And I was like, do you think that if you let one student sleep? And again, by the way, I usually just ask the question and I usually am stunned by the response for students sometimes because some of them are like, I was up until four in the morning because. And then they'll tell me something really horrible and I'm always like, I can't even believe you're at school right now. Like that's their stories continue to show me what amazing children they are, that they they're still present in our class. But yeah, they were up till three in the morning because, you know, their, you know, single mom was sick and they had to go to the hospital or whatever the story is. But um, I've never seen like that happen. I just never have like, you know, okay, so that you let that student sleep. And then the next day, 30 students put their head down their desk and they're like, we're all sleeping. I, I just haven't seen that happen. Um, but what does accountability mean to you? I mean, what is the outcome you're seeking? So if the outcome you're seeking, if you're getting that, then I, it's working. But I the reason I put Einstein, like, if we continue to do the same thing over and over, not getting the outcomes we want, then like, right, isn't that like just insanity? So um, I just, I think like, what are the outcomes you're seeking um, and are your current practices moving you closer to that or are you stagnating or are they moving you further from what you ultimately want to see as a result? And that's where I think you have to do the data mining. You have to come on a regular and frequent basis together. Um, we used to come together as a disciplinary evaluation team to really look at our tier two and tier three students and to talk about what interventions we were putting in place. What were we seeing in terms of their attendance and their grades and whether they were getting more or less discipline um, response? And I mean, again, it told us it's either working or it wasn't. And if it wasn't working, then why would we continue to do that same thing? Um And I also love Zaretta Hammond talks about being a warm demander. James Moffat talks about firm compassion. This is not about not setting boundaries, not having expectations. Um, We find great comfort in predictability. So it's not about any of a lack of any of those things. But I think, again, we misunderstand or we uh, look at, again, if we don't do something that makes us feel like we as adults are more in control um, and are compliance-driven, then we aren't holding students accountable, and I don't I don't think that that is the case. So here's the part where I just wanted to offer some some different tools and things that, you know, are kind of like where I'm at and as I said I'm a fellow traveler and I'm having to kind of go through this process myself. So these are the questions that I kind of again, I made this visual for myself so I'm just sharing it with you. You can I mean again, it might not work for you. But before I move forward and consider whether a student what consequence I'm going to give them? I move through this process myself, um, and it kind of just becomes now like I don't have to like look at the visual and be like step one. Um, I really just have it embedded in again my philosophy of trying to think: Have I considered what the student is trying to communicate with their behavior um, and what their brain st- state is at the time that they were behaving that way? And this is where. I, Amy Fast um, is out in um, Oregon and she said, and I love this and I screenshot this so long ago and kept it. Um, she says, I took Renee Brown's advice and asked a student, the story I'm telling myself about, about why you're behaving this way, not doing the work is where am I getting it wrong? And her response changed the trajectory of our whole interaction and plan moving forward. Take time to ask. And so that's where I don't have to guess sometimes, actually all the time, I always wanna have the student have an opportunity to give voice to what they're experiencing and then tell me from their perspective. And um, because again, it's about them, it's not about me. Um, so you'll you'll see, well, the planned consequence elicit learning and connection or control and resentment. And again, that's going back. What what place what brain state is it going to put them in? What can I see like from what is happening? Um, am I considering my own brain and body state, my own implicit bias and my own triggers? Because there are certain behaviors, there might be certain times of days, there might be certain students that you have very little tolerance for. And so are you reactionary to those behaviors um, more so than any others? Um, I have, you know, sometimes it's like, I have teachers, like if you say, call them bra, you know, we have students who will be like, call an adult bra. And I have some that that is absolutely like the greatest disrespect. And it, it's definitely a trigger. I can see that that's a trigger. Whereas others, you know, they're like, hey, bra back. You know, like they don't see that. That's just not, that's not a, a, as big of an issue for them. Um, what well, have I considered whether a consummate will elicit the outcomes I want based on data and trends? And again, that's where that is an overall, that's a process that sometimes you yourself have to look at your own your own data. I can look at the students that I serve Um, across a grade level, but you can also look across a school, across a division. Um, Is the planned consequence proportional to the behavior? I mean, sometimes like the behavior is, again, we'll just use the hoodie as an example. So that's like way down here. It's really not impacting anyone else in the classroom. It's not stopping the teacher from teaching. It's not stopping anybody else from learning. But a student has done it three times. So all of a sudden, it's not about hoodie. It's about defiance. So then we're like, okay, you've done it three times. So now you're Um, chronically defiant as a result of being chronically defiant, this is your really big consequence, which at the end of the day, the behavior was a hoodie, but yet the consequence is really about major defiance. And we're going to be like, okay, so you're in in in-school suspension for a full day, you're going to miss all seven of your classes. So that's that proportional behavior. Um, And I can't answer these for you. I mean, obviously you can tell where I kind of lie on these, but you have to be able to come to your own place of comfort for these. How um, kind of I consider whether consequence serves the system or serves the student? That's one of my favorite ones. Does it serve the see I told you I'm, I'm right here. My phone's ringing. Um, and am I choosing this consequence because I lack access to or understanding of alternatives? So, again, I don't have restorative practice. I don't know what restorative practices look like. I don't feel comfortable using restorative practices. I don't have access to what I need to make restorative practices happen, for instance. So, um, and that's an adult issue. That's not, and that's a system issue. That's not where a student should be punished because of that. That's our problem to solve, not for kids to deal with that. Um, Again, just wanted to give you some resources, um, some additional things. Uh, I loved this tiered support because a lot of us are in MTSS Um, school divisions or schools and so I love this visual about um, putting in supports by tiers some different things that you can can use it also references Bruce Perry's regulate relate and reason Um, in the disciplinary process sometimes we often go right over regulate and relate to reason and we start asking a student why they did what they did do they understand you know that, you know, the harm that they've done when they're in a dysregulated state and it only serves to dysregulate them more. And then we see that as them, again, willfully choosing even more um, challenging behavior when we really, we've kind of, again, we have fostered that because we've skipped right over them regulating and relating because learning comes in that reason part. We have to have them in a brain state that they can hear us, they can engage with us, just like with any other learning. Um, instead of in-school prevention, I just said suspension in general. If we looked at it as intervention and prevention, it might change because the word in of itself is to, you know, to me means exclusion. Um, so if we looked at it, what can we do to intervene and what can we do to prevent? And that's where I see things like SEL, the power in SEL, the powerful in incorporating mindfulness and other strategies that help students when they are struggling, Um, opportunities to build community in small groups instead of of out-of-school suspension. Again, being able to invest in how we bring restorative practice learning and knowledge into our schools. Um, When a student engages in something, giving them opportunities to reflect with targeted learning, um, having them... and doing that beside and with them just like we would as a teacher in a guided learning way um, and moving them into an independent learning way. So these are just some, again, I just don't want you to, I, I wanted to offer some some suggestions that I'm considering that I've tried, that I have found success with. Um, one of the things that I've had staff um, do when they're in a regulated state, this is not something you do when a student is or a staff member is in a dysregulated state because they have to come to this when they can really be reflective is having an emotional regulation plan because you can really help. It can really help. So when we see a student moving into a dysregulated state where they might make um, behavioral choices that could lead them into the discipline process, it gives us some strategies so that we can co-regulate, we can come up beside, we can offer them supports um, and things that ultimately again will prevent because that's that's where you wanna be, right? We wanna actually get to the, we're, we're preventing it from even going into the discipline um, cycle if we can. But this is again, something um, that not just for students, but for adults too, because again, we're starting with ourselves and right now we have a lot of dysregulated adults um, for lots of reasons. Our profession has got a lot of pressure and it's being really taxed right now, um, in a lot of different areas. So, oh, and that's actually, that is it. That was from, that's, that's my little placeholder slide. So that's what I have to say about all that.
0: <laughs> hey, hey, Jody, Jody, thank you so much. That, that was fantastic. Oh
1: gosh, As, I know. And, I'm, like, and, on a pet, I'm over here on a soapbox. I know.
0: Well, no, it's okay. And, 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 you know, you're passionate about it and I think for, yeah. for good reason. Um, I have a couple of thoughts and we have a couple of questions here and I do want to pause and just let people know if you're watching, uh, now's a great time to put a question in. If you haven't already, Uh, we have, and and even if you have, you can put in another question if you want to. So uh, if you have any questions, go ahead and put them in the chat now and we'll try to get those in a moment. Uh, There were a couple of things that um, struck me and uh, well, the first thing I had to say is the the pocket portel, Okay. (laughs) So, you know, I think we need to take this a step further. I think we need like a deck of cards and we have a pocket Portel. Then we have a pocket Lori. We have a pocket Jody. We have a yes! pocket Justin, uh, you know, with, with a picture of everybody and, and, and something they can help us out with throughout the day. We, we can, uh, you know, <laughs> we, we market that to all of our, all of our uh, colleagues here. Uh, but, yeah. but I love the pocket Portel. It just sounded like a lot of fun. Yeah. It reminds me of like the, uh, the flat Stanley, right. You know, there was that, you know, thing. So, uh, so question wise, um, you know, aside from my just love of, of that idea of the pocket portal, um, you know, this journey that that you've been on and, and I love kind of the fellow traveler. Uh, and I think that's a great description because, um, I think there's so many people that, uh, you know, I meet and talk to that are on this journey and, uh, you know, maybe at various places. And I think, uh, the first really important thing to realize is it is a journey, right? You know, you've not arrived at your destination and just kind of like here it all is. Even when we think about the the people that, you know, you've talked to, you know, I've talked about uh, even very, in fact, I was looking here and I think Lori's behind me somewhere, uh, but you, you talked <laughs> quite a bit about Lori and, oh, know. Uh, you know, I can't, can't mention. i, know, I got back here too. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I hear from Lori a lot is kind of that thought that, you know, like, when she's writing these books, she's going in the classroom. She's working with educators. She's working with students. Right. Yeah,
1: she's a practitioner. Always, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, always learning. So th- this journey is one of always learning. Uh, I think if we lose the curiosity, um, you know, we, we maybe this isn't the journey for us anymore. But um, I think that's really important. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about kind of your the spark. Okay, so you know, you've been doing, uh, you know, you've been in educa- education for a long time. Uh, you know, the system, uh, you know, the that you mentioned kind of the system being broken. Uh, so coming into a system that was, uh, you know, broken, uh, learning a lot of the things that were being done that aren't helping. I think about zero tolerance. I think about a lot of the approaches in your I mean, can you look back at it a moment in time where you kind of felt like, oh, this isn't working? You know, the, this isn't doing what we want to do. Was there a spark that you can really remember that kind of uh, ignited you on this, uh, the journey and, and, and what was it from there that really kind of kept things going?
1: Well, I mean, I think that when I became an administrator and, uh, just the same students kept coming back and coming back and coming back and, you know, I just stopped and I thought, you know, and then, you know, there was also this, especially at the, my first year when I had to just like deep dive, like, do I even want to do this? Because I felt like I was, again, I was more about the guidelines and like, um, OK, like you did it again. So now we're going to ratchet it up again. And oh, oh, you're back. We're doing this. You know, and I just thought, I it, it felt so huh. I felt so unsettled. Huh. And um, and again, it, it just was not working because if I if I maintain myself as an educator. So wh- regardless of what role or capacity, we're all educators. Right. Like that's what we are. And I was like there. I'm not teaching. They're not learning. This is not working. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I just would see again, the same students being suspended. And then I would see their, I would look at their grades and I'm like, well, of course their grades are in the gutter because they're not here.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um, and then I, I think it goes back to, I think there's this great quote about, you know, if kids who can't read, we don't send them home and say, figure it out and come back, you know, and I'm like, but a student who is engaging in behavior, we're like, I'm going to suspend you. I want you to go home and think about that,
0: Right, right, work right. it out and
1: you come back. Yeah, Right. And I, and so it just, none of it made any like logical sense, mm-hmm. but I think mm-hmm. I just remember in those first years, you know, I said, I might not be in a classroom, but I have my own class of kids. Right, it's the right. same kids coming back over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, uh, in, in that way, and even just with my own, my own children's experience, mm-hmm. um, I kind of mentioned that and, um, just seeing um, I think I think somebody mentioned like the the uh, putting their name on the board um, or putting checks beside your name and I just know I look back at my oldest daughter and that's when the behavior charts and every day she would come home mm. and I would I didn't know better then like when you know better mm-hmm. you do better yep. yep Maya says it the stress and anxiety every day because I thought I was doing a good thing by checking her agenda right. to see what right. color right.
0: Right.
1: Right. and she can talk, she can tell me now because we, she, you know, she's in this world with me in terms of conversation. And she's like, it was so anxiety inducing. Mm-hmm,
0: it mm-hmm. was so
1: anxiety inducing. And, um, and goodness, if she got a yellow at eight 30, right. she sat in that anxiety all day because right, I was right. going to see a yellow and I was yep. going to be like, you got a yellow. um, So. Yep. yep. You
0: know, yeah, I, I remember um, getting the crumbled up behavior sheets, you know, or the behavior sheets that, you know, um, uh, my son had, had changed because he wasn't happy about. Mm-hmm. But but, you know, who wouldn't? Right. I mean, um, you know, the, I, and, you know, fortunately, things are changing. I mean, uh, I don't know about you, but I feel um I feel like even though these are really tough times, there's some positive things out there happening. Uh, we're seeing people, you know, ditch the clip charts and and, and some yes, of these things yes, that, yes. you know, I mean, Portel always talks about it, kind of the public shaming of a, a clip chart, you know, okay, well, which of my staff people want to have a clip chart about you know <laughs> how, how they're doing today? Right. Um, so so we're making some progress for sure. Um, but these are tough times. And, and you you pointed out, I think, well, you know, with the pandemic, uh, with everything that's going on, these, these have been really tough times for educators. And, During tough times, uh, our our brain pathways sometimes go to familiar approaches, even though they're not working. Uh, And you you had that kind of Einstein, uh, you know, we keep doing the same thing, even though it's not working. But that happens when things are tough. So, you know, we're hearing around the country where people are having a difficult time uh, in classrooms and where they're seeing an increase in behaviors. Well, what's the reaction? The reaction is, oh, well, we need more of this punitive discipline. We need more suspension, expulsion. Uh, We need, um, you know, old fashioned discipline whatever you call it we had a um uh, a school district earlier this year that brought back corporal punishment after 20 years of of having it gone um so and, and and you know you you sometimes hear you know from from those that might not be in the same place in their journey but You know, they want and you probably heard this is an administrator. They want to send somebody to the office for a consequence. They want something to happen to them because, you know, um, they did whatever they did in the the classroom. So they want to send to an administrator and have the administrator suspend or expel or or somehow, you know, do something to the individual for what happened. And, And I'm really concerned during these times that, um there are going to be places that move in the totally wrong direction. So what do you, what do you say to a young educator, a young, you know, uh, you know, a young educator getting started in their career who, you know, maybe hasn't been introduced to some of these ideas. How do you begin to make the shift?
1: So um, I think it's a great question. And I think that um, that's where making sure as a school leader and, you know, me wanting to, again, talk to school leaders as much as I can. I know a lot of us are because in order to support our, you know, and can I just say we are desperate for people to come into our profession, right? We are desperate right now. Our profession, we're not the need is so far greater than who is coming in um, to fill that need. And we have so many who are choosing retirement because it is so, so tough. Um but I think that's where we have to start with teaching them about their own brain and body state. Right. I mean, right. I can't emphasize enough that when I learned about and started being able to consider my own self so deeply, when I think about those first years of teaching and how every behavior felt like a personal attack mm-hmm. on me and and the stress that caused. And so, like, how do you shift from it feeling personal to our business is personal. We are in a deeply personal business of, you know, humanity, but behaviors are not, don't right. take those personally. Right. And I think that's where if we can, for me, like, cause I think somebody said, do I get a lot of pushback? Yes. I'm going to be real straight up with you. Like it's, it's yes. And I said, the question is you're not holding kids accountable. You're being really soft on them. You know all of those things, right. and first off, that presumes that I don't want to see kids thrive. I don't want to see kids mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, grow. I don't want to set them up for success in the future. And those, I again, I don't believe that's what we come to the table for. Right. All of us are striving for that with our with our children, and so. But I do get pushed back because um, it, it it's kind of scary, right? Because mm-hmm. You it's like losing a little bit of control. But once you realize the science of it, I think that takes the fear out, actually. Right. right, right. Um, so that's where that investment, if you look at it as a content area, and I guess that's where, you know, mm-hmm. doing that work of how can we look at this as a content area, then you'll invest in it, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I I've been thinking and 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 kind of um sharing a lot of this this idea that just keeps coming back to me, which is this idea that um, a little bit of brain science and, and the right perspective or outlook can make such a huge difference. And I mean, you know, you, you when you talked about like people looking at all behavior being intentional, you know, the truth is we have science now that, that tells us that, you know, that's not the case, not all behaviors are intentional. You know, the, the polyvagal theory, knowing that things might be kind of bottom up or, or being, you know, really kind of brought by our nervous systems. Um, so there's so much information out there that I think can really help. Yeah, um, but, but it's hard. Shifts are, shifts are hard. It
1: is hard. It's hard. I, I don't want to be one to sit here and say, like, because it's it's it is hard, but it's so worth it. It's yeah. so worth it. And it helps you like for my own health and wellness. So, again, it's like that whole like self-care. It's mm-hmm. about collective care. Again, that's a hey, that's a that's a pocket portel mm-hmm. moment, too. He talks about so not card out here. Right. Not self-care, but like collective care, us being right. able to lean in yeah. on each other. I think, um, you know, having community, humans are not wanting to be isolated. That's not right. how we're biologically designed. Um, and so, again, I I know I'm not trying to simplify it, but there are so many resources. I am not a neuroscientist, nor do I play one on TV, um, but this is all so accessible Right. And there are ways to make it. It's once you start even hearing little pieces, you, the shift starts happening. I and, and I go, I'm one. There's a lot of others that are, I will be happy to talk to anybody about this, share resources. People have asked a lot. I will share anything I have. Absolutely. If I can help, um, I didn't get here alone. And I want to hopefully right. let people right. know. Like,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the amazing thing about, you know, um, I, you know I feel like I've, um, had the uh, the the privilege to, um, you know, kind of find a community out there of, of like-minded people that are doing this work, you know, um, you know, people like you and 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 Matthew and and so many others out there that are doing this work and and really are um, wanting to share and and wanting to help and. You know, um, speaking of which, you know, you, you've talked about Lori a lot, and of course, uh, Lori was here on the call with us. Uh, yeah, yep, 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 and had had several comments. Uh, she was driving, but, but was listening occasionally, would comment, mm-hmm. hopefully, hopefully in a safe way. Um, but you know, people, people in this community, um, kind of showing up and being part of these things, I think, it's really important. I know our, we're almost at time here, but let me see if I can get to a couple of uh, comments or questions, okay. Okay. Uh, if you're okay with that. And we're yeah, not going to come in and turn off the lights on you. Okay. Uh, I know that, in fact, here was another thing from uh, Lori. Uh, this is about the adults, um, our discipline referrals, more about student behaviors or staff behaviors. Well, uh, and that's
1: and- a great comment, because what am I saying? Behaviors, communication, not just yeah. behavior of children. So sometimes I can look at a referral and be like that teacher or I can look at eight referrals from the same teacher and say, They they are communicating, too. They Mm -hmm. need support. They need something also.
0: Mm -hmm, And
1: um, so, again, this is not when I say, you know, about adults so we can. But, yeah, sometimes referrals tell me a a really powerful story about where a staff member is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a proponent of uh, Ross Green's work and the idea that kids do well if they can. And, and the same holds true of our teachers and our staff, right? Uh, teachers do well if they can. And, you know, um, I, I think that the primary difference between an educator and a student uh, is really about brain development. That a, that a child, a very young child, especially, you know, our brains do not fully developed or we're what, 25 or 30 years old. You know, there's a, a pre- predictable pattern of brain development which leaves our prefrontal cortex being kind of last to get fully baked. And, and, you know, kind of taking that into account, you know, kids aren't miniature adults, they don't have the same, um, you know, they don't have the same experiences and whatnot. But at the same time, um, you know, when you look at our needs, when you look at um, how we should be supported, it's the same, you know, whether you're talking about a child or an adult. Yeah, um, yeah so important. So let me get to a couple of others here. Uh, Trisha, a parent in Idaho, or parents in Idaho have been promoting their tier two and tier three approaches must include restraints and seclusion, falsely uh, believing that kids behaving uh, behave badly with no warning. Uh, how do I respond to this? Um, do you have any thoughts? I, I, I've got a couple of thoughts that pop out. but Yeah, I'll...
1: I mean, I, I yeah, I think your thoughts. I mean, again, I'm going to say what the most powerful part of this has been for all of the pushback um, is I can rely on science and data. And sometimes those that are the most resistant or the least receptive, the science and the data of it has challenged their thinking Mm -hmm. and has allowed them to take pause. So I think with this one, I would say there's, and you can probably start giving lots of information about what research and data that we have um, that tells us, the impact of restraint
0: and seclusion. Right, right. right. Well, yeah, and my first response, and I won't go long here, but uh, is that uh, restraint and seclusion should not be part of here to interventions. I mean, restraint and seclusion are designed to be crisis management interventions and should not be part of a behavioral intervention plan or or any of that, Uh, you know, it's crisis management. I don't think seclusion is ever a reasonable approach period Uh, and restraint should be rare. It should only happen if a child is really posing a a life-threatening situation. Uh, So when you begin to plan these things, unfortunately, you will use them more. And when you use them more, of course, that's going to lead to trauma. That trauma is going to lead to changes in the brain. That change Mm -hmm. in the brain is going to lead to an increase probably in stress-related behavior. So, you know, when you're planning to do these things, you will do them. When you do them, you will probably lead to uh, a child that is more stressed doesn't feel safe and is likely to have behavior. So, you know, I think there's a lot and, and Trisha certainly can talk more about this with you if you're interested, but uh th- there's a lot wrong with the idea of putting them as tier two and three interventions. Um, You know, these should not be planned, you know, responses. Uh, well, think,
1: again, look at the word intervention. What is an intervention?
0: Right, Does right. it
1: match that also in terms of back to those reflective questions for those parents, mm-hmm. like where, where, where are they making a connection that this is going to get the outcome thereafter? Like Mm -hmm. there's, you've got to kind of like have them build that story or the story they're telling themselves that this is going to lead to this and this, because I think if you have them voice that you'll find where you can disrupt and interrupt that and say, actually here. Let me um, quite honestly, and again, it was, it, semantic wise, I just think also just one more because just made me think of like the wording, you know, inclusion mm-hmm. and seclusion. And um, semantically, again, we sometimes have things that we give great names to like mm-hmm. that's a cool down room.
0: But mm-hmm. really,
1: it's just about putting a kid in a room behind a door by themselves yes. to like, again, be isolated and um, to bring about a sense of. Intrusive control in them, yep. but we call it a calm down room. But again, do they calm down in there? So don't semantic. We can't semantically fool ourselves. Well, and say, oh, yeah, and and we down. see that a lot.
0: We see that a yeah. lot with restraint seclusion, and and it kind of yeah. confuses. It confuses parents. You know, we hear things mm-hmm. like, "Oh, well." you know, uh, restraint is therapeutic. It's not, you know, a physical restraint is an intent, you know, an invention intended to save a life in a, in a crisis situation. Right. We're not talking about a hug. That's an entirely different thing. Right. Uh, but when, when people begin to kind of obfuscate things with uh, the wording they use, it really does a disservice to everybody. And I can't tell you how many, you know, blue room, cool room, uh, somebody sent me a picture today. Uh, well not today, yesterday, uh, of a seclusion room, they called it Alaska. Uh, you know, here, here are kids that will probably forever, uh, have some trauma related to Alaska, uh, and not know why, if they're being put in the seclusion against their will, uh, you know, all sorts of interesting things that people do. What matters is the function, you know?
1: Oh, sorry. One more thing is it reminded me, Jessica Harris, and you know, Jessica too, and she's a teacher in Indiana. And we're Mm -hmm. talking about those new teachers. You were asking that question. and, And I just have to tell you this, I, this is a new strategy that she uses. Um, again, I think, uh, if you have heard Matthew Portell will talk about it sometimes because he has kind of seen it in action, but they have a system in her school for the adults that if the adult is in a state, they have enough, they've given enough understanding to the adults that if the adult is in a state where they need a break, they have like a call out system. Yep. So they have a whole system built to say, if you as an adult need a minute, because you're becoming dysregulated like this is, it and I am obsessed with like, that i'm thinking yes so when i when i think about that for those new teachers you were talking about or any any teacher a system like that that puts in place that again says we value you as a a human we know that all of us have this happen within ourselves and here's how we can approach it really in a positive preventative way so I just want to give a shout out yeah, because yeah. that's something that I am um, wanting to explore more yeah. for implementation. Cause I think it sounds amazing.
0: I, I actually talked to a administrator in Montana today uh, who was using a very similar strategy and they actually had something on their phone, like a button on their phone that they were able to push like some kind of app. Um, so they didn't have to go to the walkies. They didn't have to say anything. They could just push it. It would, it would notify other people and without being, you know, calling attention to the child or others uh that they needed help and and what a great thing to do yeah absolutely uh let's see uh jania asked uh if the slides can be sent uh to our email or of course okay can people reach out to you is there an email or an address that people can sure
1: sure um my email is um as i'm like sitting here saying i have so many right i have my work email i have my personal email i'm like what is my um jody j place at gmail would be the best one you can also reach out to me on twitter if you want to send me your contact information on twitter okay. i'm on okay. twitter uh
0: and, and i also have your I, i'm yes. gonna paste your address you it, I yes that would okay. be great okay great um, however uh-huh.
1: you, it's best for you to to interact with me but yeah i of course absolutely of course okay. um i will if if you find it will be helpful i would love to to share it with you
0: great uh and a couple more here um i don't know if you noticed but our our friend Dustin is here and uh, Dustin talked about, um, you know, my own personal practices changed when I became more reflective uh, and included my students in this conversation. So important. I think collaboration is so important uh, instead of uh, making an assumption that I know uh, what's going on, inviting into uh, the process is so very important. Um, Dustin also mentioned the need for breaks throughout the day. Uh, and, and of course Dustin had presented here recently. Uh, and because I know that you guys present together. Sometimes yep. I told Dustin, we've already booked it. We've already booked you <laughs> back and present with Dustin, which will be a lot of fun.
1: It will uh, be a lot but, of fun because we, yeah. we love getting a chance to work together, even though he's in Kansas, I'm in Virginia. Um, and that's, let me just tell anybody who's watching this. There is a network out there and there's a network that wants to bring you in. And we want to support you, support each other. Again, I'm still learning and growing Um, And we all can bring something. And so just know, as in terms of hope, if you feel very alone, because I've been there where I feel very, very alone in this work. um, And there is a whole network of people that just want to be there for each other. So
0: absolutely. And which is fantastic. And and of course, I think there's a couple of places where where people can connect to that. Of course, uh, Matthew Portell has the Trauma Informed Educators Network. Uh, yes. And uh, if you look up Trauma-Informed Educators Network on uh, Facebook, uh, it's a good place. There's a good group there. You can connect with them on their website as well. The Attachment and Trauma Networks another really great net, network of people to connect with. And, and it really is. I mean, I, I would even say more than that, where it's like a community uh, of people that are connecting together and, mm-hmm. um, you know, amplifying and, and working together and, you know, really great stuff. I have two last things and then I will will we'll let, you, let you wrap up here. Uh, Jamie Emerson uh, actually from the UK, said, sorry about joining late, but thank you. Uh, I love the my emotional regulation plan uh, and I, I use that at a systemic level across all of the organizations and school. Um, are the handouts that are used? Um, let's see. Let's see. Are the handouts that can be used? Um, of course credit to yourself uh, great work thanks so again that's an email request so yeah, it, yeah. It, you know, i again you're...
1: i'm not i'm i'm happy if, if it's a resource and again like if make it true for your community i think right. again um so i think educators are great, great pirates you know we're always out there like like you know, being inspired by each other and making things based. You know, we we have yeah. to do that. So yep. Yep. yeah, yeah. And,
0: and, and always good. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I appreciate. I mean, you were sharing things from a bunch of kind of our, our fellow travelers, and yeah. it's always great to be able to you know credit people for their work. But I think that you know, again, we're we're here. I think trying to do this work for for a mission for a reason, uh, and and everybody that I've connected with, at least, they're always happy to to share things. And yes. and, and, you know, credit's always always recommended, but. Um, uh and uh, Nicole said my question is as a principal do you get a lot of pushback and and you had kind of addressed that earlier yeah. um you know I would imagine you do uh and I know Nicole has some experience inside of a school as well um one word of advice to another administrator that is making this travel what would you say to them if, about pushback
1: I would say push through Push through okay. push well, through because yeah. I expect it expect it because again it's if this You're seeing a fear response because Mm -hmm. when we say this, we're asking for a shift, a change. We're asking for what feels like a loss of control.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so that sometimes the pushback is coming again from where they are right on in terms of that that fight or flight freeze. So um, don't take it personally, but just provide the information, provide the support. Um, I got I get that every time. Again, I've um, done this. I, at, at a traditional school. And I really started honestly with, um, at first, you know, it was like, everybody has to do this, you know, like, let's tell everybody. And I said, how about we start with a group that wants to come to, the, they're interested, they're curious, mm-hmm. this, that. then they can, then it can build out, you know? So I, I think, and again, of course I want everybody to have it, but I started off with a group of sort of willing, you know, curious, totally, volunteer right. people and then other people heard about it, saw what they were doing, they would talk about their successes. And so then it started building without again that pushback got less right. and less right. and less.
0: You, you and know, the, uh, I think, culture I think...
1: became one if people didn't want to do it at that point, the culture right. became uncomfortable for them and that just wasn't the right fit for them. Right. right. But by and large, so um I'm back in a new community right now, right? So I'm gonna have to go, I'm going through that process again. Um, I did that in all ed. I was like, we're okay. not going to be traditional all ed. This is not going to be like some, like make it so bad. They hate it. They want to go back. No, mm-hmm, no mm-hmm, educational mm-hmm. site should be so horrible and awful that kids want to like flee from it. Mm-hmm, um, I was mm-hmm. like, not happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but here I am again, and I'm going to have to go through that process again, but I'm telling you, if you just can stick with it and yep. it, the rewards will be, I promise.
0: You, you know, uh, James Moffitt, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I I thought so. And and James presented with us a few months ago. And and the reason he came into my head here is that that uh, response that you had reminded me of something he said, and he talked about his experience and, and, you know, he talked about his experience and kind of what he learned throughout the way of trying to bring people along. And, and really what it comes down to is that, uh, you know, he talked about how, you know, I mean, the same thing that holds true with the kids. We should be doing things with people, not to people. But very often the temptation is, hey, I learned this great stuff. We're going to do it. And, and, and you know, um, you're not doing it with them. You're doing it kind of to them. You're telling them what they're going to do. And, and of course, if that doesn't work, then, then James said, well, then, then you end up doing it for them. So they're not really doing it. So you do it for them. And he said, "You know really, what you want to get to is doing it with them and and you know kind of from the start, is like how do we bring people in? how do we get them on board and it's about collaborating you know we want to collaborate not only with our kids but you know, our teachers and staff and nobody likes having things done to them. Right. right. Um, and, but, but it's, no. it, it's hard, it's hard. And it's, I'm sure, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of growth, well, listen, I, I don't want to keep you all day and it would be easy for me to do. Um, but I want to thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you. It's been my this honor.
1: Day. It has truly been my honor.
0: I, I so appreciate it. And, you know, our, our hope with these events that we do is that, you know, they will inspire others that, you know, others that are somewhere in the journey might, you know, watch these presentations and say, Hey, you know, here, here was somebody and and here was their journey and here's where they came. Um, and, and that's the hope, you know I mean? Um, regardless of, of how many people watch an individual presentation, the idea is like, if somebody sparked out there, it's well worthwhile. And, um, you know, I think, um, you know, yeah. really, really beneficial. So thank you so much. Um, you know, Nicole mentioned here uh, that this can be a lonely road, but no, well, that- you will
1: reach out to me. I hope you will. I, I I, will make it less lonely. And I know Ginger did say next month, a lot of us are going in this network are going to the Attachment Trauma Network Conference. And um, I went to last year, that's where Guy and I got to um, interact. I had you know, followed him, knew him, um, mm-hmm. from afar, but we got to like come together and, um, Lori Desateau will be at that conference. Yes. Uh, and, uh, just let me just say like, you will find your people. It will fill your cup. It is like the most amazing experience. You will go, go back out, just feeling like, just empowered to do the work. And I know that's not possible for everybody. They have a virtual option too. If you can't travel, I did both of them last year and it was like amazing.
0: So. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and I, I just shared a, a Gingers link. And of course, yeah. it is not too late to sign yeah. up to come to Houston, uh, which is where the in-person event is happening, or to sign up for the virtual event. And uh, you know, if you do the the in-person event, you get the virtual event, I think, free as well. So you get to do both. Uh, lots of great things. And, and again, it's, it's the community. I mean, um, you know, last year leaving that, I mean, it was just so fantastic to meet all the people that are that are doing this work and people that I knew from afar and and the opportunity in person. So so great opportunity. I'm going to mention here real quickly, and then we'll, we'll sign off here. Uh, I just want to mention that we do have, of course, uh, another event coming up in two weeks and uh, in two weeks we have, and I'm trying to share my screen here uh, as I do like uh, a few different things. And let's hope that this goes where I want it to go. Uh, so there we go. Um, oops. And I went to the wrong screen, but that's okay. Because <laughs> we will roll with it and uh, I'll get it here anyway. So in two weeks, we have a, another presentation coming or uh, I guess discussion coming up. And I don't know if you've ever followed the neurodivergent teacher. Uh, oh, McAllister. Yes. Okay. Uh, really fantastic. Really excited to have uh, McAllister joining us. Uh, should be a fun conversation. Uh, she does a lot of amazing things on social media, takes a really different lens on on supporting people. So we're really excited to have that coming up. So, you know, as always, we have a lot of a lot of great things coming and uh, look forward to seeing people again in about two weeks. So uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us. Uh, thank you so much again, Jody. And you can hang on for one second. We'll yeah. let everybody go and uh, we'll be out of here.
1: Thank you so much, everybody. I hope you connect.
0: Thanks.